Dangerous Twisted Mystery Podcast. Less cozy, more ugly. Warping listeners' minds since 2022. Music by Dangerous. Narrated by Twisted. Chapter 62. Bartag. Do you think he's gonna bust up the place again? Mac grumbled. The memory usually brought a laugh from the group, but tonight, not even a smile. Vorist spat back. This dump could use some kerosene and a spark plug to complete the makeover. He flipped his lighter back and forth with a clicking sound, like he was threatening the timbers around him. The timbers, comfortable in the dark recesses of ancient slumber, were unimpressed. Sean nodded, staring at the door where Blade would soon make his entrance. He turned to Mac, smiling belatedly at his joke. He scanned his eyes over to Vorist, who was so jittery that parts of him looked out of focus. Some men, when they are threatened, like to intimidate weaker people or break things. Sean sat silent. He expected everything. His father was a mechanic, and every day he'd come home like clockwork, stoned beyond reason. Father would hit mother. Mother would slap oldest daughter, Kim. Kim would lock middle child, Sean, in the closet, where he'd take care of youngest daughter, Nell. He didn't remember molesting her. There was no agreement whether it was him or his dad, but the accusation had sent him away from her for life. He had ridden thousands of miles to get away from the cycle, and yet he'd become participant and enabler in the torture and violence against innocence. He'd become his father. Experts would add him to the statistics. He sometimes wished that he could bring himself to put a bullet between his own eyes. The thought spurred him to speak. He'll be here any minute. What do you guys think he needs us for? It's obvious. Felian Stone's fucked up. We need to find a replacement. Should have taken that sweet piece of candy sitting at the bar. Where did she go, anyway? Vorist growled. Why didn't he just call us back to the camp? He wants to make the beating public. He called us public? Sean looked around the bar with only a square head from the town sitting talking into a hands-free cell phone headset. I think he just wanted to know where we were. He's cut and run. Voris punched Mac in the chest, half because he was closest, half because he'd never been able to read Sean. He might be one of those quiet killers, and right now, he didn't need enemies. He needed allies. Fuck you. He's walking through that door and kicking our asses, and then you'll be sorry you said that. Sean waited for him to catch up to his own logic. It didn't happen. Sure, I'm wrong. The tension suddenly shifted. Before, they were afraid of Blade walking through that door. And now, strangely, they worried that he wouldn't. Ten minutes later, the phone rang, and a message was delivered through the fat bartender. Blade had fixed the problem, and he wasn't coming after all. Wagner. Wagner heard the attacker coming through the trees, along with a shriek from Darcy. She acted on reflex, taking long, fluid strides over uneven ground, and yet somehow launching herself gracefully into the pile, gun-drawn, screaming, Federal agent, I'm armed. This was all academy training, but nothing in her experience had prepared her for what was at the bottom of the scrum. The attacker hadn't cared in the least that she was FBI, or that she was armed, her shoulder struck the attacker, and her gun hand brushed against the sagging coat of warm, soft fur, heaving the animal off Darcy and sending him skidding down the slope. The animal snapped at his attacker, 
drawing blood on the fleshy part below Wagner's chin, inches from her throat. She could tell that its jaws had the power to send a lot more than a trickle of blood running down the ridge of her collarbone. Wagner pulled Darcy off of her knees. Are you bleeding? Darcy looked like she was about to cry. Looking at the three deep marks across her midsection where the animal had raked its claws. Darcy couldn't answer. She was frozen and had gone sheet white. She held out her hand, covered in blood. It was like she wanted Wagner to verify something she couldn't bring herself to believe. The flailing dog finally regained traction, skidding to a stop far below. It quickly began circling outward, looking for a safe, fast way back up the ridge to its prey. Wagner judged the distance to the nearest building and began tugging on Darcy to follow. Her legs moved like concrete stilts, stiff and heavy. Wagner heard a yelp and then the sound of running. The dog had found its trail. They were halfway across the clearing, nearly to a small 8 by 10 enclosure, when the dog broke from the dark underbrush. Forty yards were gobbled in half. According to the shadows created innocently from the lamppost light, the heads of the women were almost touching the blood-stained teeth of the dog. The snarling beast was ten yards away when Wagner pushed on the door. It wouldn't budge, and much worse, the gun, which was in her hand, dropped from the effort. She knew that it was too late to pick it up and take aim on the dog. Wagner had made a huge mistake by not simply waiting for the dog at the clearing's edge, putting a bullet in his chest to slow his breathing, then walking up and putting a second in the brain. It hardly deserved a bullet in the brain for protecting its home, but looking at the situation she was in now, she saw the error clearly. Her mind raced, trying to make up for her body's error. There was something strange about the rough-hewn door, something that didn't fit the measure of its utility, or perhaps some detail that would give her leverage. Then she saw it. The hinges were visible on the outside of the door. Most hinges are on the inside so that nobody can simply remove the door and enter the house. It makes the usual swing of a door inward. This door swung outward, making her original push ineffective. She took a deep breath and pulled. It flapped open banging against the exterior wall, bringing the other occupant of the room to his feet. This was the dog's house. There were bars on the windows, and the door swung outward because it was built to keep things inside, not discourage entrance from the outside. Wagner had hoped to pull the door shut once entering, but the surprise of finding another dog waiting on the inside had cut her enthusiasm for being locked in the room. The two dogs growled and circled the women, Wagner couldn't stop thinking about the defensive wound patterns that the M.E. would examine on her body post-mortem. What a strange image to take into Foreverland. There was a hint of a smile on Wagner's lips, and she hoped that it would linger, and that someone would have to guess what in this terrible situation had put it there. Agent Brent. Agent Brent had to repeat every third word that he spoke into his headset. Sitting near enough to the bikers that he couldn't shout, he kept an efficient cadence and military-structured communication pattern through the crackling connection back to Washington. It wasn't the overcast skies, or even the accompanying pressure drop before a storm, that interfered with his satellite unit. It was most likely some kind of magnetic content in the surrounding rocks. It was only a hundred years past that these ranges had produced a rich variety of ores for a nation with a growing appetite for silver place settings, gold for rotting teeth, and later, uranium to ensure a quick death for anyone who tried to take the gold or silver away. Most people would think that the magnetic charge somehow interferes with the signal, and this is not the case. 
Each phone has an identifying chip that allows linkage to a series of communication satellites. It's this chip that changes the equipment from an extremely expensive receiver, like a radio, into a communication device. Brent heard each of Wilkes excited words perfectly clearly. However, getting his position back to Wilkes took a gymnastic exercise of speech, a long program minus the medals and leotards. Wilkes didn't know that his side of the conversation was perfectly clear, and he yelled into the receiver, There are four units on the way on the ground. One will be in the air in 40 minutes, and the entire area can be contained by dawn. Copy. We have two agents in the field. We might have to move before containment. Brent didn't want to wait. Say again. Agents in the field. 6 p.m. deadline for Laura approaching. He spoke in packets. Laura's broadcast has been delayed. Tell your agent he has more time. Hold. Thoughts raced through Brent's head. Blade had never gone off schedule before. What did this mean? It was two minutes to six. Had Legacy interfered with the execution? If so, he should probably take down the men in the corner. It would at least satisfy his need to deal out some punishment. If the bartender would only get off the damn phone and go in the back, he could probably shoot all of them. Calculated, painful, chronic injuries they'd take with themselves to the chair. With no witnesses, he could contend that it was in self-defense. A flood of narrative from Wilkes interrupted his thoughts of revenge, pouring like salt water onto an open wound. A blue just entered the frame. He's dragging Laura by her neck. She's in a wig. Move your resources, agent. He's putting her in arm restraints. Oh, Christ! Brent shouted. What? He's showing a knife to the camera. Move your resources now. Brent hadn't been able to make clear the fact that he had no communication with either of the agents in the field. He was as helpless as any other viewer to the atrocity. Wilkes' usual rock-solid tone began to crack, barking orders to others around him. Moments passed as the voices in the background rose into a loud commotion. The words, indistinct, washed over the airwaves, occasionally popping out like a rusty nail in a clamoring construction site. Brent didn't care much for drama. He'd once been dragged to a theater production of Pirates of the Penzance by a fresh-faced drama major. Brent had found himself earnestly wishing that the boat would sink. All hands on deck. Brent had a no-tolerance policy for non-participants. He lived real action and couldn't understand anyone who pretended to play a part. Wilkes' voice woke him from a bad daydream and slammed him headfirst into a nightmare. Oh, God. His voice rattled the earpiece, then an eerie silence. It's over. Brent cast his eyes around the barroom wildly. He wanted so badly to lash out at something. He was met only with dubious stares from the bikers who'd begun to pay attention to the agent's behavior. Wilkes continued clinically, Her back's to the camera. We can't see the wound, but the volume of blood indicates a cut artery. She's limp in the restraints. His voice found a hollow reserved for those who'd thought they'd seen it all, only to find one gutting image left. Never seen a girl. It's over. Wait for backup, agent, he murmured in a stupor. Seen a hundred men die. Agent Brent disconnected. He didn't want to hear that last part. He didn't want to hear any of it. He surged from his chair. 
He didn't know what he was going to do, but it involved payback and the men in the corner. He took one step in their direction, and his phone rang. He stood like a stone monument to indecision in the middle of the bar. The biker studied him like he was somehow familiar, categorized, but not identified yet. One of them took the time to sneer and blow smoke menacingly from his nostrils. He didn't want to hear another word, but his sense of duty ran deeper than his vein of retribution, just barely. He pushed a button on the phone and was more than a little surprised at the hushed, disturbingly familiar voice that came across the line. I'm calling to report. I've been calling, but I couldn't get through. But now I am. How did you get this number? Brent demanded. Well, I got this number from a, a girl agent. The voice sighed, struggled to be understood like he believed cops spoke a different language. She told me to call. Brent noticed the slight echo, doubling the sound of his breath, and it clicked. The young agent turned to the bar. Brent locked eyes with the man on the other end of the phone. The bartender slouched over the phone, hiding the receiver in his thick hand. Brent closed the distance between them in brisk steps, reached across the bar, his fingers reaching for the phone, disconnecting the surprised bartender. He picked up the conversation face to face without skipping a beat. What did she say? Burley took the sudden shift in his customary way, chewed and digested the strange turn of events like it was part of human nature. He'd seen enough strange behavior in his days that this agent appearing in front of him provided only the opportunity to deliver his message. You got here fast. Where is Agent Wagner? She went up the back trail to the old church camp a little while ago. His slow country drawl caused Brent visible discomfort in a time when every tick of the clock seemed to bring a fresh crisis. Burley couldn't tell what nerve he was tapping into, so Brent courteously decided to bring him closer to examine the problem face to face. He grabbed the bartender by the shirt and pulled him across the bar with a sudden jolt. Burley's feet scuffed around wildly, searching for the ground. Brent knew he was pressing hard, too hard. He knew it, but he couldn't stop himself. Wagner was at risk. When? A rumble that Brent originally mistook for a massive gastric belch escaping the fat man's stomach erupted in the night air. It was joined by another rumble, amplified again and again. It was the sound of engines churning to life. The men in the corner were gone. Brent bolted for the door. He was outside. A wall of yellow light was aimed at the door, and he squinted, staring into the row of three headlights. And what struck him immediately wasn't surprise. It was the flat, ridged grip of a gun stamped in the center of his forehead, propelled by the arm of the fat one. He was quick for a man carrying at least twice the natural weight for his frame. The lightning strike to the forehead was called the stare-down for the way it blurred the vision of the man who was hit. It was evidently the fat one's signature move. My signature move, Mac told the teetering agent in a clumsy tone. Brent didn't black out, but the sudden concussion of his visual cortex made him completely incapable of fending off his attackers. Blade usually took over when they were helpless, but tonight there were several things that didn't go according to plan. Why didn't he go down, Mac? Mac was just as surprised. They always go down. Sean didn't want to chat. Pop him and let's go. Vorist stepped forward and put a fist into the gut of the teetering man. His hand crunched. At first, he thought it was the ribs of the man he was hitting, and a smile came to his face. 
but it disappeared in an instant of realization. Fist running full force into Kevlar on a cold night meant something was going to crunch, and it wasn't going to be the Kevlar. It was like punching a concrete wall. Fucking A, my hand! He searched the recesses of his dark mind to find the perfect word to express the moment, and there it was, just where he'd left it moments before. Fuck! Max stepped in with another blow aimed at Brent's forehead, but this time he was ready. Even though he blinked a blurry cocktail of blood and saline from his eyes, Brent rolled his head backwards. It was a good guess. The butt of the gun skidded off his hairline. Brent's training kicked in, and somehow he rolled onto the wooden porch. He found two semi-automatic glocks in his hands as he pushed himself into a crouched position. Now the only question was, where to shoot? Everything was shadow, flash, and blur. He decided that since nobody in the vicinity deserved to live, as it was, he'd concentrate on the shadow and blur and open fire. Shots rang out one after another, with no space between explosions. Then, with careful count, the two magazines almost spent, a single bullet in each gun, Brent listened. The night had no more violence in it. There was only the retreating sound of engines. Even in his delirium, he could tell there were only two. A bike stood headlights still shining on the entrance of the bar. A body slumped by its side. One of the unlucky blurs, Brent thought. He didn't know that he'd actually granted the biker's wish. Sean was finally dead. His arms were in an awkward embrace over the neck of the bike. His last gasp of air was filled with warm exhaust. Brent whirled on the door, pointing both smoking guns in its direction. Burley leaned out. Don't shoot. You set me up, Brent yelled. A chuckle from the doorway. You're not very smart, are you, G.I. Joe? Brent wasn't sure about what made sense in those tense moments that followed, and he wouldn't be for quite a while. Burley detected the uncertainty in the air. There's a saying in these parts. If you can't trust a man with a shotgun pointed at you, who can you trust? He pumped a shell into the chamber. Brent took a second to clear the thick wall of cobwebs that separated his judgment from his perceptions. He realized that the fat bartender was right. If he'd wanted him dead, he wouldn't still be talking to him. Brent lowered the weapons, and his vision began to clear. He realized that he was pointing at the window rather than the door anyway. Burley was lifting him to his feet in the next moment. The air was silent, consumed with darkness. Brent had lost track of the time that Burley had gone down and turned off the motorcycle and headlight. The next thing Brent knew, he was sitting in a chair in the bar, pulling bloody napkins from the old chrome holder. He knew logically that the napkins were not coming out bloody. He could have sworn that they actually spat from the holder pre-soaked in glistening deep ruby stream. Brent's life became a slow slideshow, seen through a muddy red lens. He was fighting the welcoming blackness with everything he had. Brent had to get up that mountain and warn Legacy that he'd lost containment, and with that thought, he pushed himself to his feet. Or tried to. The next instant, he was lying on a broken table. All those bloody napkins couldn't be his, could they? Wagner. Wagner heard a shrill whistle. The dogs appeared to judge the quality of the command before backing off. They were so close to unprotected flesh, it took a second sharp, insistent pipe before they backed down. The noise of their frantic chase had drawn the protector of the compound out into the night. 
A tall, lean specter appeared in the doorway, looking less like a man than a parchment-skinned walking cadaver. There was unbridled delight in his eyes, like he'd just seen some of the most satisfying moments of his ugly life. Ladies. Wagner shuddered. His tone was deadly sweet and incendiary, like a wisp of fairground cotton candy soaked in kerosene. She looked up and saw them flashpoint immediately, gleaming in his monstrous recessed eyes of blade. There was something about the light entering behind Wagner that made a mosaic of colors play across his skin. To what do I owe the pleasure, Darcy? And you brought a friend. Wagner's eyes drifted from him to measure the distance between the door and where she lay. It wasn't far enough. Wagner had never seen the man before, and he'd never seen her. She might be able to explain her presence as part of Darcy's strange migration. Headlights flashed off the silhouette of Blade in the door, lighting up the side of his face for a moment. He stiffened up, looking strangely uneasy. His voice remained calm. The boys are back from the bar. Good timing. Blade knew that the approaching rumble was not the sound of motorcycle engines. He did a quick calculation and then let go of the door. Wagner heard the door creak as it eased back to a close on rusty springs. The light falling across the dirty interior narrowed until only needles around the improperly hung door stretched across the interior. Blade's voice called to her from the darkness. Agent? Wagner was sure that she'd look up and lock eyes with pure evil, but to her surprise, he was gone. There was a slap of the wood against the doorframe. It made Darcy shudder beneath her, and drew Wagner's attention to the irregular breathing of the girl. She was petrified. Wagner reached down to her ankle holster and then felt the cold, clammy slap of a hand that covered her own like a tourniquet. A whisper entered her ear, flicking like a tongue of a snake. Let's not get at our toys yet. There was an urgency in his voice now. It wasn't like the playful address at his entrance. We don't have time to play. Wagner whipped her head around. There was only blackness staring back at her, but she could smell his stale breath hovering in the intimate distance in front of her face. Darcy began heaving, great convulsion-like dry sobs, until the contents of her stomach surfaced. It was the only time in Wagner's life that the smell of bile was a welcome change in the atmosphere. Vomit is not often the gatekeeper for tears, but for Darcy, it was like her entire body remembered Blade and protested in its own way. You look delicious. But you smell surprised, Agent. Guns and girls in my chapel can only mean one thing. You followed Little Red Riding Slut back to Grandmother's house. Wagner's eyes adjusted slightly, and she recognized the geometric pattern of the primary illumination in the room. Silver moonlight filtered through a stained glass representation of the story of Cain. It was just enough light to make out the form of her tormentor, more than enough to strike back. Her weapon was pinned down, but Wagner felt her body surge, preparing a response to Blade's hospitality. Darcy must have known, felt her body change. She choked from the darkness. Don't do it. But it was too late to change anything but the direction of the blow, palm smashing into the bridge of Blade's nose. A normal man would have been incapacitated for several seconds, giving Wagner the chance to draw. But somehow, Blade held on to Wagner's hand. Wagner's knee shot up and sunk deeply into the gaunt man's stomach, pushing the organs up against his spine before retreating. That would certainly... But before she could complete that thought, 
she felt the holster ripped from her ankle, tearing the cuff of her pants. It was now in Blade's hand. Wagner locked eyes, expecting some sign of pain or shock. Instead, she found something equivalent to an orgasm in Blade's world, and though it stemmed from pure evil, it had its roots in pure bliss. Darcy's voice cut the silence just before Wagner received a slap that burst blood vessels in the inside of her cheek. It's how he always wins. Pain gives him an advantage. Smack! Her words were punctuated with the white flash. The dogs bayed and howled. They were keen to see violence. Teeth, impossibly white, gleamed from lips curled in sinister snarls. The home crowd atmosphere distracted Wagner from raising her guard more quickly. At least, that's what she thought. In truth, there was almost no response that was quick enough to defend oneself from Blade. Another blow, again open-handed and ferocious after blazing fast recovery from the first. Wagner's skin stung and she imagined the blood flooding her face, looking for a way out and finding none, permeating all of the interstitial spaces. She felt the clamp of a handcuff around her wrist and then her arm pulled like a rubber band until it met Darcy's left hand. They were cuffed in a tight embrace. Blade took Wagner's second set of cuffs and pulled Darcy's right hand over Wagner's shoulder, reaching down through a crotch and meeting her left hand. Effectively, both ladies ended up like a ball of yarn, the chain digging into humiliating areas leading to a chain-link wedgie. She'd only known Blade for two minutes, and he'd already degraded her. Wagner began to empathize with the bile that Darcy extruded, realizing its physical presence came from a deeper understanding of the man who stood over them. It was a kind of mental understanding she'd never wanted to have. Blade tugged at the restraints. Wagner imagined that it was as much for the pleasure of seeing both women flinch as to make certain that there was no way of escaping. Wagner watched his every move. Probing his physical weakness was imperative and she'd made a mental list, not knowing when or if she'd ever be able to use the information. One thing was clear. Blade was fast, and took advantage of every weakness instantly. The strength that it took to rip the leather straps from her leg holster required the kind of grip that a shop vice aspired to. Anger was a gateway to a violent ecstasy just below the surface. She heard the creaky springs complained as they stretched open, and the light from the outside flooded inside. Darcy's face was white as a sheet, and the dim yellow of the lamplight mixed with the silver blue of the moon flickered like an old movie playing over the textured, stretched canvas. Except the scratches were real, and the flicker Wagner imagined was Darcy's life force, so delicate that it could be snuffed out with a flip of a switch. Wagner felt pity for her, even though she hardly had the luxury or distance of sympathy. It still welled up for this young, lost girl. She'd come back all this way just to see if hell was how she left it. Blade looked around outside for a moment, then thundered back through the door. He dragged them roughly onto a nearby battered aluminum sled and pulled them out the door like some kind of trophy kill he needed to get home while the meat was still fresh. He left the door open and called the dogs back to their patrol. Chapter 63 Anonymous Monster Legacy growled to a stop under a flagpole. Metal clips rattled against the hollow pipe in a nervous titter. He ignored the welcome sign, instead drawing his weapon and moving quickly to the large central building. The satellite dish mounted on the shallow rake of the roof gave way to the fact that this was the central command area. 
everything that came in or went out of the compound dialed in through the aging iron monster pointed anonymously at the night sky. He wondered if the man who'd invented the technology understood what kind of sick doors it would open up. Of course, by those standards, the person who invented rope deserved to hang many times over for the permutations of torture that he invited into the world. Legacy slipped silently into a side shadow. He needed to concentrate on silence. He hadn't been that careful on the way up. In his haste, he'd made no efforts to veil his approach. His first commander had told him that quick actions led to immediate mistakes, and he completely agreed. Only the imminent death of Laura pushed him into the mode of a strike force, with no time for the luxury of deliberation. His fingers brushed the chair rail that lined the reception room about halfway up the wall. The hum of electronics in the next room carried through the solid wood. He changed course. He didn't want the control room. He wanted the studio. A small side door marked commissary caught his attention. The doorknob had been repaired recently, and he could see no reason why this bunch would repair anything that they didn't regularly use. A click would put him into a dark area filled with black curtains hung from the ceilings and weighted at the bottom with chains. He rushed down the length of the curtain, the force of the moving air making it ripple. At the end, he was met with a pool of white light. A body hung from restraints. Legacy knew the characteristics of a dead body. He'd been a dead body once. Thirty seconds of stillness. It was the one stunning punctuation in his life, and it was what made him keenly aware of the full stop of another. Laura. He inwardly sighed. He raced around and came face to face with the body. What he saw was unexpected. It was wrong in so many ways that his senses didn't know where to start. Blade hadn't savored this death. It was quick and ugly. This in no way resembled the kind of death that Blade wanted to present his viewers. Her young and curvy body was encased in dark satin that deepened in color where damp. Blood soaked the front of her dress. It stuck against her skin. Her face was tear-stained, dark lines ending at her chin, then re-emerging as mascara stains became visible dark oases below the surface of the blood. It seemed like the makeup streaks won the race to the ground, but were then quickly flooded over. A low growl brought Legacy back to reality. He looked off to his left and what the scent of blood had brought out to prowl. Legacy looked off camera left. Wilkes watched the strange pantomime from the headquarters as he examined the body. They had, of course, been studying the gruesome picture when, all of a sudden, Legacy had entered the frame. Wilkes showed his frustration openly, slamming his fists into his pockets. If only Legacy had arrived ten minutes earlier. Wilkes asked himself if he had put ten minutes of roadblocks in front of Legacy sometime during the investigation that they were all now paying for. Wilkes was not one who often second-guessed himself, yet all he found racing around his desolate synapses were doubts. He was going to have to stop that immediately if he was going to be of any use. The mission had turned into a mop-up operation, and now Legacy's presence there could push the group they were hunting into immediate flight, melting into the darkness. What else could possibly go wrong? Wilkes could only hope that Legacy had it under control and that there wouldn't be any surprises. Legacy braced his body and stared at the camera lens. Wilkes didn't see the danger until it entered the screen. A wolf, or dog, or some kind of savage beast leapt into the frame and Legacy went down, twisting in what looked like a very specific kind of embrace. Legacy spun with the fluid movements of a bullfighter. 
He jerked upwards, his forearms framing the throat of the dog as it thrashed wildly, feet looking for some kind of solid ground. His mouth moved like he was talking to it. What the hell could he be saying, Wilkes thought, instantly admonishing himself for the question. Legacy felt the muscles heave beneath his locked arms. He had the dog firmly in a ranger grip he'd learned to subdue children. It was not the kind of memory that disengages a person from past reality, rather one that brings it all flooding back. With a quick, effortless move, he dug into the well-defined musculature of the dog's neck and made a quick turn, rolling the head like his forearms were conveyor belts moving in opposite directions. Snap! The rage and fury that had been coursing through the dog's body moments before drained, lagging only slightly behind the physics of consciousness, before finally flickering out.